As I said, we are starting a new series. Uh, it's a new leaf. We want to we want to talk about how to get a new start uh, to the to the year. And I, I, I'm serious about wanting you to bring your Bibles with you. I, I know some of you that that just bring my Bible to church. Why? And it's on the screen. No, you know why do I need my? It help, there's something about it. And I'm sorry if you're a Kindle guy. There, you know, if you have one of those Kindles where you flick your book like that and stuff, it's just not the same as opening a book and holding it and reading it and stuff. And and actually, this book is different than those other books. This book actually it becomes your friend because when you when you're going through difficult times and you've thumbed through this thing and you've marked on it and you've read it and you. It becomes the place where in the midst of a tragedy, in the midst of hurt, you can go back to it and find that stuff that you need. It's God's way of speaking to us, and it's available to us all the time. So I just encourage you to use it. Uh, bring it with you. Yours is probably not going to match my version. That's okay. I get asked all the time, what kind of Bible should I buy? There are. We live in a day and age where there are numerous valid translations you can't really find a bad one. Uh, there, there are positives and negatives about some of them. And if you are, if you're going to seminary and you're going to write a, if you're going to write a cur- curriculum or if you're going to be doing a commentary, then you might want to do a little bit of study on the correct scholarly Bible. But if you're, if you're just trying to be a good Christian and love God more, pick one that, that reads well to you. What I always tell people is like pick a passage you're familiar with, like Psalm 23. Find that in the Bible, read it, and if it, and and do that with a couple passages. If you like the way it flows, then then go with it. You don't have to worry about the translation and and that kind of stuff. But we are going to be going through the letter of First Peter. Okay, so I'll give you some chance now. I know all my Christians have their Bibles open. The rest of you, we're praying for you. So. Um, <laughs> First Peter's in the New Testament. That's the second half. As you get back there, if you look in the table of contents, it's almost to the back. It, it's otherwise known as 1 Peter. It, 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 it was the number one ranking in the BCS poll back then. So, uh, But Peter, you remember who Peter is? Peter is the disciple, the one that was with Jesus. The one He's, he's probably one of our, our favorite. Uh, disciples. He's the one we tell the most stories about. He's the one that, that made a fool of himself the most. He's the one that was the most vocal. He was the one when Jesus said, who do people say that I am? He was the one that spoke up and said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. Remember that? And Jesus said, it's on that confession of you and people to come that I'm going to build my church. P- Peter was the one that, that had sort of a rivalry going with James and John, and they often argued. And around the around the table at the upper room, that hallowed moment, those guys were arguing about who was more important. Peter's the one that, when Jesus was going to be arrested, when the when the guards showed up, Peter was the one that drew his sword and thought he was going to be Mr. Hero and cut the ear off of of one of the soldiers. Peter was also the one who said. Everyone else might fall away. Everyone else might abandon you, Jesus. I will never do it. And hours later had denied Christ three times. Peter was the one that, after Jesus was resurrected, as he's 
depressed and mourning and feeling the guilt and shame of having made that public statement and then the the knowledge that he had not lived up to that billing, Jesus met him on a boat and gave him a chance to, to say, I love you three times as a gift of grace from Jesus to give him a chance to re, reconnect. Peter went on to be a preacher. Peter's the one that preached at the Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell. Peter went on to be a leader within the church, and Peter is the one that writes this letter to a group of churches. And I'm excited about this series because this, this letter is addressed to some people that have some very similar life circumstances to us. Let me see if you think this might fit you. It was people who their political system wasn't really living up to what they hoped it would be. Okay? You don't have to raise your hand on that one. But I think we can agree that there's some weird things going on in our world. And it's not about a, a leader. It's about our world, we have terrorism alerts, we have, we have fights over this and that. There's unrest socially. Can we say that? Is that politically correct enough for you? I can see some nervous grins on you. You're not sure where I'm going with this, but okay. There's some, there's some social unrest, let's say. There's financial difficulty. I think you could, I don't even need to worry about political correctness on that. All right. There is tough times for people. At their time, it was persecution. I don't think you're going through quite that, but you're going through some difficult times. And the reason Peter, one of the reasons Peter is writing this letter is because this is first century Christianity. This was people who had heard the message, who are trying to follow. This is people who, who wanted to be connected with God. And their question in the first century was, I gave my life to God. I am trying my best to do the things that you asked me to do. And yet my life still sucks. What's up? Why hasn't God taken away all the hard parts of life? Why hasn't God shown up and done something? In fact, my friends who are the biggest Christians are having the hardest time. Does that mean God doesn't love them? Or, and so they were having to deal with this idea of why doesn't God stop me from suffering? And that's a common question that we ask. Somewhere along the way, we figured out as church leaders that it's hard to sell real Christianity. So we tried to put this bow on it that said, give your life to Christ and everything will be wonderful for you. But that only takes about two hours for you to figure out it doesn't work. If you believe that and you've been disappointed, I'm sorry, you got sold a bill of goods. We have ne- there is no place in the scriptures where it says, trust me and I will take your troubles away. In fact, I can show you more places where it says, life sucks, you need me. That's a paraphrase, that's the new living. <laughs> but it's in there. Okay? So this letter is written to folks in that situation. Let me read you the introduction. I don't have this on the screen, but this is the introduction. This is the first two verses. This is a letter from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has 
made you holy, and as a result you have obeyed him and been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. What he is saying is, I'm writing to you folks that are chosen by me. Now let me tell you who he's talking to. He's talking to me and you. If you want to argue with me about predestination, we'll do that at a different time. Let me give you my understanding about it. I believe in predestination. We have a destiny. You know what that destiny is? I was created with a purpose. I was created with a uniqueness. From the moment I was conceived, from the moment I gave breath, there was a potential within me. There was something that God could do with me. I don't buy into the idea that each one of my actions, thoughts, that, you know, that God's got it in a book somewhere that at 12.35, David will go out and start his car and back up. I don't go with that. I believe that I have a destiny and that destiny is to reach the full potential for which God created for me, which has to do with me coming to know him better and me loving him more and more. He says, this is for all of you who are chosen, which, guess what? Every single one of you were created with a purpose. Every single one of you are unique. Every single one of you, there is a potential within you that if used, if connected with God and used, you will make a statement, a difference, a legacy in this world. Isn't that what you want? It's not going to be by how much money you earn. It's not going to be about how miserable you make your kids' lives. It's not going to be about all the ways we think we're we're going to do it. It's going to be by reaching the potential God has for you. He says, for all of those God's chosen people, which is you, which is me, he said, this letter's for you. I want to encourage you. I want to I share with you what's going on. I, and, he, and there's a strange thing he says in there. He says, to people who are living as foreigners, or other versions say strangers in other lands. You know why they're foreigners and strangers? It's because their belief system didn't match the people around them. They were citizens of the same place, but they, they had a difference about them that made them foreigners. Some of you have ex- some of you have experienced that in your family. You know, maybe maybe your beliefs sort of set you apart from the rest of your folks. Maybe you've had to change maybe your friends once you decided to follow Christ instead of whatever. Maybe it made you foreigners with them. But that's what he's saying is you got you got a different standard. And so here here's what we're doing. So here we go. Summer's got it on the screen. We'll go. And in the first, I got to tell you, when I go into my teaching mode, I I tend to go long. And that is not going to be my New Year's resolution. Okay. But I'm going to warn you now with communion stuff, I'm probably going to go long. If you are just, you got to get out of here. You're not going to hurt my feelings if you sneak out. Okay. I understand. I'm not going to do this every week. I'm just, I'm warning you off the bat. I'll probably be a little long this morning, okay? It's a good start for your new year, all right? It's called submission. You didn't realize that when you walked in, but... Okay, here we go. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by His great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with a great expectation. 
Let's stop there. Okay? It says, it is by His great mercy that we've been born again. Now that term born again, that's something that carries some baggage with it, right? You've heard that before. And in the evangelical movement a few years back, going back to the holiest movement in the beginning of the 20th century, created some baggage with that term. But, but here's what, it, it's actually a biblical term. And what happens is religious terms develop their own luggage and, and then people, oh, you said, you said born again. Oh, no. But what it means, remember Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus said, how do I, what must I do? And Jesus said, you have to be born again. What he was saying is that in order for us to connect with God, we have to recognize that we live in a part, we're foreigners, that that we're born into a sinful place. That the world, while, while it's where we have our physical birth, it's not where we were called to be. And we have a physical mother or a physical father. We need to have a spiritual birth. Jesus said, unless you're born of water and the spirit to the women at the well. Remember that? We need a spiritual birth. There needs to be a, a giving over of who we are to our Heavenly Father. That's called being born again. That's what we commonly call becoming a Christian. And different traditions do it different ways. My understanding, it's whenever you say, God, I want to follow your rules, not mine. That may involve coming up to an altar. That may involve some magic prayer. That may involve... what The method is not the important thing. The idea is... Have you been willing to submit yourself to your Heavenly Father? To say, I want to live your way, not mine. That is being born again. Okay? And how do we get that? It's by God's mercy. Do you know what mercy means? That means not getting what you deserve. What do we all deserve? This is in Romans 3. We've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. And the wages of sin is... Death. That's what we deserve. But instead of death, what does God offer us? He offers us a chance to be born again. Now, as we enter a new year, it's a great setting for us to think about being born again. We, we get to wipe the slate clean. Imagine if you could do that with your debtors, with your debts, right? I, I would love that right now. If I could just say a prayer of forgiveness and have Citibank go away. You know, get a call tomorrow, David, your sins have been forgiven. <laughs> you know, that, that sounds amazing. We've had, we've had a better gift of mercy that we can't even imagine, but we take it for granted. God, the almighty creator, this, the one who holds eternity by his great mercy has said, you have a chance to be born again to start afresh. Okay. And he says, now we live with a great expectation. This, this is that expectation, that buzz, that hope. That, this is the lure that New Year's Eve holds for us. It's a pretty stupid holiday if you think about it. It's just a day in the calendar. I mean, what, is there some cosmic thing that happens on January 1st? Where, ooh, now everything aligned, now I'm new. No, but it's that, it's that expectation I think part of it is people want to drink to forget how bad the last year was. 
But the other celebration part is there's possibility. There, there's, there is a hope. And that's sort of a false hope, you know, it, it, where it, it truly is hope. Oh, I hope it, I have no idea how it's going to get better, but I hope it does. What, what Peter is talking about here is this being born again, this relationship with God, it gives us an expectation. We don't have to wonder if God's going to be with us. We can expect it. We can expect that God's going to make a difference in our life. If we're willing to submit to if we're willing to be born again, if we're willing to give ourselves over to we can expect that things are going to be different. You can expect it. Verse 4, And we have a priceless inheritance, inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your, uh, and uh, I'm going to go on to verse 5, And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. He says you have an inheritance. And in, in, Paul says in Romans 8 that we are heirs with Christ, that once we become children of God, we are joint heirs with Christ, that what God promised Jesus, his son, the glory and being raised up, seated at his right hand, having his power, grace, glory available to him, that we are joint heirs with him. We, we have an inheritance waiting for us, right? And, and we commonly think about that as heaven, and that's all right, but just don't get caught up in your Hollywood images of heaven, okay? It's not about angels and flying and, and all that other kind of stuff. I, we don't really know what heaven's about. We do know that once, according to Revelation, at some point, God's going to redo creation. He's going to renew it and and restart it and take it back to its original intent. And and it says when that happens, we're going to be in the presence of God. He's going to be able to talk to us. We're going to be able to talk to him. There's going to be no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. That everything will be made new. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. We know that part. We know that Christ conquered the power of sin. And we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 that there is no more sting with death, that we have nothing to fear because Christ has conquered death, that hell has, has been closed. We don't, that when we have him, we don't have to worry about where we're going. We don't have to worry about punishment. We can receive all of that. That's part of the inheritance. Okay? The best part of the inheritance is that you get to know that that heavenly father, that father that you were reborn with, is always there. You don't even have to wait till you die to experience heaven, the reward. You can experience it now. Remember the 23rd Psalm? Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then it says, his rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. You know why? That was David's image of God the shepherd, God the father, God the loving father that's always there. That no matter where you are, what you're going through, he's always there. That rod and thy staff, that's God's power, his protection, his watching over, that, it's always there for you. That's the priceless inheritance that can be yours. You don't have to wait until your parents kick the bucket so you can have fun. 
you can enjoy your inheritance now. It has to do with you reaching, excuse me, reaching your potential. It has to do with you becoming closer to God. And he says, and through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. That God with the rod and the staff, he is protecting you. He is hovering over you. We have so many images of this in the scripture. Jesus said, I I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. We have the 23rd Psalm. We have the, the, the picture of, of God as an eagle soaring. We have so many pictures of God's presence with us. And what it, the, the image that he's trying to get through is, even though you don't think so, God is there. There's been some things you've gone through where you've had that question, is God with me? Does he care about me or is he gone? And you might not have been able to pinpoint it, but experience, faith, the word tells us that no matter where you were, what you were going through, he was there. That his rod and his staff were with him. That even when you were walking through the valley of shadow of death, he was there beside you. That you did not have to fear any evil. Our problem is, is that we focus in on our problems and we assume that there's nothing out there. It says it's by faith that you're going to be able to to hang on to this. It's by our faith that that's what tells us it's it's okay. In the scriptures, we read in the Old Testament about the Israelites. Remember them? It, God led them out of Egypt, a captivity, took them into a promised land. All the time, he's winning battles for them, protecting them, doing all these great things for them. They were always like, oh, yeah, we appreciate it, God. And then three weeks later, leave us alone. We want to do our own thing. And, and But they were always being protected. And he finally said to them, hey, you want to do it your own way? Do it your own way. And he sort of lifted the veil of protection on them. Well, they didn't like that. Their land was taken away from them. They were dispersed. I mean, it was horrible. I want to suggest to you that we have a bubble of protection over us all the time that we might not recognize, we might take for granted. I can look back as a teenager, and the fact that I'm still alive says that God had a bubble of protection for me. I mean, think of how many stupid things you did as teenagers. And you teenagers that are doing them right now, just think how many stupid things you do right now, Trenton. Come on, stand up as an example of a stupid (laughs) idea. That's a poster boy of stupid teenage decisions right there. <laughs> we just went home for, for Thanksgiving in Canyon City, Colorado, and the Arkansas River goes through there, and that's where a lot of people go rafting and stuff. And we used to hang out there. I mean, it was before it was all developed and everything, and we just hung out in the river. And one of our favorite activities during the summer is we'd go to the old railroad bridge and jump off of it about 30 feet into the river. And we always heard, you know, be careful, there's trees or something in there, and I never thought about it. And t- but the river was down one time, and I got to see, there was actually an old railroad bridge there, and so there's all the cut-off pillars in the water, like spaced out. Like t- We jumped off of there all the time. The fact that none of us were skewered uh, on those is amazing. <laughs> we... How many times do we make stupid decisions in our life where we're protected from them? No matter how miserable you are right now, honestly, 
It could be worse, couldn't it? You may not be getting exactly what you deserve right now, but there have been times in your life where you've gotten more than you deserve, haven't there? There have been times in your life where a bad decision didn't go as bad as it could have. That's God's protection. That's called his grace. It, it's, it's his presence in our life, that rod and that staff, that sort of keeps us close to the flock so, so that we can get to the point where we can receive that reward. He doesn't want to lose any of us, so he's, he protects us. Even when we don't want to listen to him, he still protects us. Okay, verse 6. Here we go. This is the hard part. If you, over the over your lifetime, and I'm working on this too, if you can come to understand, believe, trust this, this will change your life. Okay? It's not, it's not like your resolution type stuff. That's what we all like to talk about with resolutions. And let's be honest, they don't work. If they did, you wouldn't look the way you do. Your kids wouldn't act the way they do. You'd be happier. You'd be richer. You'd be fitter. Yeah, it's it's just a fact. You you are not good at changing your life, are you? You you might be able to do it for a little while. You can sort of, oh, I'm going to try, I'm going to try. But it's eventually going to fall away. I I just did that. We went skiing over uh, over last week. And last year when I went, after the second day, my thighs hurt so bad. I I thought I was going to cry on the slopes with the guys. I was like, oh, and I had to. So this year before going, I was like, I am not going to let my thighs be the issue this time. So start before Thanksgiving, I started going to the gym every day. I'm not going to have sore thighs. And I didn't this time. My thighs were fine. The problem is I now have a 20-year-old daughter who's a pretty good athlete who can ski the pants off of me now, and I was trying to keep up with her. And so by the end of this week, it wasn't my thighs, it's my knees, so i got to figure out something else. But, <laughs> but my point is, I could, I could focus myself in for a short time, but you know what? I've already screwed up on that. Oh, it's New Year's, you don't have to exercise on New Year's. You, know, you start making excuses for it. We're not good at changing our lives. But this, this what we're going to talk about, if, if you can accept this, if you can allow that God to give you rebirth, it will change your life. It will change your attitude, okay? Verse 6, you're not going to like it either. I'll just warn you. So be truly glad. You can be good with that. You're all right so far. There's a wonderful joy ahead. You got that, okay? But you're going through a tunnel and the train's coming the other way, all right? Even though you have to endure many trials for a little while, that's the part we don't like. There's joy ahead. You can be happy. You can have joy. But life's going to suck for a while, okay? Can anybody testify that that's going on? And if not now, maybe before. And if not before, it's coming. Those of you that don't have the life experience to know that it's coming, let me warn you, it's coming. Life is hard. And there is nowhere in the scripture where God says, I will take your pain away. In fact, as I said earlier, there are countless places where it says, it's going to be hard and you're going to need help. Remember what the angel said to the shepherds when Jesus was born? I give you great tidings of great joy for unto you is born a, a what? A savior. 
Someone to save us from this hard thing that we live in. A Savior. We need a Savior. Life is hard. We need a Savior. We need help. Okay? He says, you're going to need this. But there's joy ahead. Verse 7, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. It says, this whole thing about having faith, remember, faith leads to expectation. Remember, we, we just said that. Faith is the thing that lets us know that we belong to God. Well, what he says is these hard things that you're going through, they're actually the way to work your faith muscles. You need your faith to be strengthened in order to, to have the relationship that you need to have with God. In order to, to reach the potential that he created you for, you gotta strengthen those muscles. And those, that, those bad things that happen, instead of looking at them as Bad things that happen, you look at them as opportunities to grow your faith. Now that's easy to say and hard as heck to live out. In the midst of your pain to go, oh, well, this is just God's opportunity to open a new door for me. I'm so grateful and joyful that that's happening to me right now. I know that's that's hard. And I don't want you to misunderstand. The, the way you can misinterpret this is that God wants to build my faith. He wants me to strengthen my faith muscles, so he's punishing me so that I'll learn. There, that's, that is not the way it goes at all. Life throws those things out. We live in a fallen world, remember? Life is what gives cancer and all those kind of things. What God does is take what life throws at us and has the ability to take the things that were meant for evil and turn them out for good. Read Romans 8.28. That God can take bad and work it together for good for those who are called to according to his purposes. It's not that he punishes you, he, but it's that life is going to be hard. And your Father, your Heavenly Father, the one you have faith in, the one that you can trust, can take those hard things and turn them into your benefit. And he can strengthen those, those spiritual muscles. How many of you know people that the moment difficulty came, they, they were sellout Christians until the moment difficulty came and then they're out of there. Mad at God. He let me down. That's because no one ever tested their muscles. That's why we have so many marriages that fail. Because if your relationship is built on feelings and emotions... It's going to crumble easily. That's why I talk with young couples when I'm counseling them to be married. Of, I know she's cute. I know you love her. I know, but at some point, that cuteness is going to go away. And all those things you think are cute just become annoying. <laughs> and then what are you going to do? Right? It's the same with your faith with God. If it's all about you feeling good. Oh, I love coming to church because I get to leave and feel good. Oh. Lord, I lift your name on high. Oh, if you're happy, then you know, clap your hands. If that's your Christianity, it's great, but it's not going to take you anywhere. 
this life is hard. And if you're, if you're honest, you know that. What God it wants to do with you, what, we can, what I'm hoping for myself, what I'm hoping for this church, what I hope for you this year, is this becomes a year where we try out our faith muscles. Where we see any obstacle as a chance to grow, not as something to pout about. There are plenty of difficult things going on, and it doesn't mean I don't have compassion for you. But I have enough compassion for you that I want more for you than just for your pain to go away. I want you to be better. That's what God has for us. Let me read just the end of this. He says, you love him even though you haven't seen him. We don't get to see God, do we? But you start practicing this, you won't have to see him. You'll you'll know he's there. That's that faith. That's what happens when you exercise those faith muscles. Though you do not see him, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about the gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterwards. And they were told that their messages were not for themselves but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached it in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. What he's saying is, this makes no sense, but if you can figure this out, It changes everything for you. It's what's been prophesied. It's what people have been looking for since the beginning of time. It's what everyone is searching for, that answer. And it says the glory of what comes from it is so exciting that even the angels are sitting up on the edge of their seat saying what's going to happen with it. It is a hard concept to get through your mind, but, but I trust this book. And it says that the troubles that I'm going through, that the trials I'm going through are nothing in comparison to what God has for me. I want you to have that hope too.